face-to-face. And John chapter 1 this evening, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, a different kind of God. Sometimes the thought of God is, a, is some deity that is beyond our reach. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Uh, we might think of him as way out of the stratosphere, intangible to the human mind. Yet in this passage of Scripture, John the Baptist presents a different picture of God, particularly in his human form, Jesus Christ. He presented him correctly as fully God, but he also explains Christ as the really the antithesis of law, grace and truth, which is grace and truth. And John, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, was not absorbed with himself. He was not fixed on building a kingdom among men. He was focused on presenting Christ for who he really was. God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. And he evidences a tremendous amount of humility. And he would say, I'm not whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall bow. And then, you know, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. That's a portion of Matthew 3.11. And, uh, and then chapter 3, verse 14 of the same book, I need to be baptized of thee. He says, Jesus, you baptize me. I'm not, I, don't want, I shouldn't baptize you. Here in John chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, would you follow along with me as I read? John, bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. That very statement there in verse 15, for he was before me. Now remember that John the Baptist was physically born before Jesus Christ. What he is saying is that Jesus is eternal. Verse 16, and of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And that term begotten is absolutely pivotal to Jesus Christ. And in the modern translations, they like to remove that phrase, begotten. Because he's not an only son. We are sons and we're sons of God, sons and daughters of the Lord. But Jesus is not the only son, he's the only begotten son. Very significant. And uh, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He came so that you and I were not doomed by the law. That we would be the recipients of the gift of grace and truth. Now, it is evidence for you and I to, ev- to exhibit the law in our life. If someone wrongs you, or one of your loved ones, we oftentimes want to set that person who offended us in their place. We need to tell them how bad they are. We need to give them revenge. If we receive injustice, wherever that may be, we need to set things straight. I need to vindicate my character. Yet in the account of John the Baptist, he gives of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find Christ being totally opposite from this he dealt with sin but he was harshest in fact on those who would hold the law the self-righteous ones he didn't come to earth to throw down the gavel but rather to compassionately and lovingly give the gift of grace an abundant overflowing grace 
You know, in most religions, there's this idea of a vindictive god or goddess. Maybe not implicitly, but practically as evidenced by the many rules and regulations and lifestyles that are to be achieved or to be acted upon to somehow warrant a better afterlife. This God most times does not have to spend, does not have the time to spend with us just mere mortals. We are way out of their league as they would teach. And we must be, as they would also teach, rather than receive the gift. But in Jesus Christ, we're not commanded to do, but we're we're required and called to receive. We are called, in God's word, to simply live in grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There's nothing greater that we can do to live in thankfulness and understanding of who Christ was and is. So the principle this evening is live like Christ who gave you a living example of a true life. Let's pray, and then we will look further at this passage of Scripture, verses 15 through 18. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you that we have an eternal God, Lord, that we have one that you, Lord, that saw fit to come into human form, knowing that we could not redeem ourselves, that, Lord, we were enslaved to sin. And, Father, we we needed a Savior. And Jesus came to earth in my place and in the place of every, every person on earth. Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Father, I pray, should there be anyone tonight that is not saved, that Lord, they would call out and be gloriously saved. Lord, I pray in our hearts and lives that we would have such an appreciation as we've been talking about in church and even this morning and in the singing this morning and the songs of a thanksgiving to God to live the Christian life, Lord, You've told us that we need to be appreciative and thankful people. And so God, as we again look at your word, I pray that you'd help me to preach it. Lord, I'm just a vessel, and Lord, help me to be filled and poured out for you. May the words that are spoken be clear and precise and accurate. Lord, I'll thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. In verse 15 here, uh, the preferred, this John bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred. And to become, to come into existence, and absolutely he's preferred. John was before Christ physically, and I've mentioned that. He's declaring Jesus Christ to be none other than God himself in the flesh. I mean, the very grammar of this of this. Uh, phrase and the grammar of the sentence lends itself to the fact of being that he is before me. For him to say he's before me, though they were physically born after, Jesus was born after him, there can be no other conclusion that Jesus is God. He is definitively stating to all of his listeners, I mean, 
how could Christ be before John when he was born six months before him? Or Jesus was born six months after John. Excuse me, let me clarify that. Now in verse 16, going on from here, and of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. That receive there is that Jesus was a real person whom John the Baptist and those on earth at that time had seen. We've seen his fullness of his God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man. There is no other conclusion that you can have. He's not a God. He's not a God among many. He is the God in the flesh. The person of God in the flesh. Physically and spatially and chronologically received. His fullness, the sum total of who he is. He said, we've received it. John Phillips writes, and of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. That word, their fullness, was a favorite of agnostics, but one that had been wrested or twisted from them by the Apostle Paul and endowed with new and better, higher meaning. In fact, the word as used in the New Testament speaks of the sum total of the attributes and powers of God. Out of that inexhaustible supply, every believer is given all he or she needs. So Paul takes what is used by the agnostics who twist Scripture and he puts it in its rightful place in the fullness of Jesus Christ. He is every, I mean, he is this whole idea of man and God. In Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. I had a professor when I was in engineering school. And I, I was at a liberal arts, quote-unquote, Christian university. And in this university, in one of the classes I had, the professor told me when Jesus came to earth, he gave up, he lost some of his deity. That's absolute liberalism and heresy if you want to figure out who god the jehovah everlasting god is jesus was he john 1 18 no man has seen god at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he hath declared him so jesus declares the father And really, in another uh, commentary, John Walvoord, he says, the statement, no one has ever seen God, 1 John 4, 12, may seem to raise a problem. Did not Isaiah say, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty? God in his essence is invisible. He is the one whom no one has seen or can see. He goes on to say, but John 1, 18 uh, means no one has ever seen God's essential nature. God may be seen in a theophany or anthropomorphism. And now a theophany is... Uh, what, what, let me explain that word. That is before Jesus came as a virgin-born child. In the Old Testament, you would find many times in the scriptures, it will say, the angel of the Lord. And so it's a pre-incarnate, incarnation is when he became a baby. So it's a pre-incarnate appearance of God on earth, Christ on earth. Pre-incarnate or a Christophany or theophany as they oftentimes want to sometimes call it. But his nature is disclosed in Jesus. And it's the greatest act of love ever that the creator who created us, we make a mess, he enters into the mess to redeem humanity. He came unto his own, his own received him not. I mean, he was the avowed enemy of humanity. 
Romans 5.10, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And, you know, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, I actually brought this up to the professor while I was in this university years ago. And uh, he had made that statement that Jesus lost some of his deity and uh, gave up some of his powers. And I'm like, Anyways, he said, well, that, that, and so I brought up Colossians 2, 9, and 10, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are completed in him, and, uh, which is the head of all principality and power. And I asked him, I said, so what does this mean? He said, well, that's your, you know, I said, isn't it fully God? He said, well, that's your interpretation. Well, if the Bible's just open to each and every person's own individual interpretation, we got a lot of problems, because then salvation might be by this, or it might be by this, or it might be this. Then the final authority in the Scriptures, if it's only by the interpretation, that man is thereby the authority of what is God's Word. And it denigrates God from His high lofty position to just a, a position where He's no longer the authority. Because if He is beholden to my view and your views of what I read in the Scriptures that we have real problems. The law is written as the, the law of the land here. It tells us, sometimes it's so convoluted, it's sometimes the, the law of the land is pretty difficult, and so you need lawyers to help you. But the scriptures are written that we could all understand. The word foldest means that which fills the sum total, the totality. It is uh, the sum total of all that is God. Jesus dwelt all the wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, all the abundance of God, 1 Corinthians 1.30. All that Christ is, his very fullness of being, is given to us who believe. All his love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness, Galatians 5. We are complete in him. The word is used in the New Testament of this fullness here also speaks of the sum total of the attributes of the powers of God. And out of that inexhaustible supply, listen here, you and I are given all that we need for life. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's in Jesus. I'd like you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. When that professor made that statement many years ago, I definitely was not in the theological position I stand today, but I still had a love and an appreciation of God's word, and, and I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know? I said, I look at the Bible, and what the Bible says, and what you're saying, they don't agree. There's someone that's wrong. And I'll stick with the Bible. The Bible's right, you're wrong. Excuse me, let me make sure I clarify that. Verse uh, 30 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Of God am I in Christ Jesus. The fullness. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, It hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The fullness. Ephesians three nineteen, 
And to know the love of God, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's Ephesians 3.19. Ephesians 4.13, let's look here. Talking about various gifts there. And then verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This fullness. Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man in the flesh. Fully man. But that manhood was not a diminishment or a relinquishment of his deity. He was God. God was not content or satisfied with a sacrificial system. Now that was a good picture of the Lamb to come. It was a good picture. And it had to be annually repeated. Hebrews 10 tells us this. I mean, there's a remembrance again every year of sacrifices. And God through Christ, God in the flesh, came to earth in the same demeanor and temperament as John the Baptist, complete humility. And it tells us in Hebrews 9 that Christ entered into the holy place, not that which is made with hands, but he enters into the holy of holies in God's very presence. And he makes a sacrifice for me. Look with me here at Hebrews 9. I don't want to mistake in how I say this. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, we have... A great high priest forever. We don't need another temple. We don't need another sacrificial system. Our high priest is in his rightful place. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth in, to the holy place every year with the blood of others. But then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Again, one time act. And I am the, the recipient of that grace. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. Grace is to, the idea here is a religious technical term for God's attitude towards human beings, kindness, grace, favor, helpfulness. And the receiving of this very thing is is a gift. Notice with me the striking contrast here. Verse 16 mentions received. Right? Received. It's a gift. Verse 17, the law was given. The law is a condemnation. The law is a binding. The law is boundaries. The law is consequences if the laws, if boundaries are broken. The law demands, but grace compels. Luke chapter 24. Verse 44 through 47, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So he's talking here about the fulfilling of the law. Every detail perfectly followed. And then he's talking about the dissemination, the giving out of the grace of God, the message. The law of Moses contained truth, sharp and demanding truths. Of some 613 edicts of the law. The law was necessary, though, to show us our grace through Christ. You know what? If there was no law, you would have no knowledge of sin. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. I know we don't like the law, but the law has its purpose. What it does is it tells me I'm guilty, and I'm in need of, of a rescuer. I'm in need of a payment or justice on my wickedness, my sin. Galatians 3, 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law says guilty. My conscience, right, the law, (laughs) my conscience says you've done wrong, you're guilty. Okay, I'm guilty. We know that. We're all sinners. We know that. And I know this is a very simple message uh, for many of you, but thinking about this, I mean, without the law, without a conscience, I'm not going to have a knowledge that I am a sinner. I mean, my daughter does things that are wrong, and, and then I tell her she's wrong, and then I, I might show her from the scriptures, and you know, sometimes she just weeps because, oh, I've done so bad, you know. My heart is black. But the, the thing is, is that law, all it does is it shows me I'm condemned. Now, in that condemned state, I said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble. So we need a help justified through faith. That word justified there uh, in Galatians 3.24, maybe you've heard this, maybe I've mentioned it many times, but justified, just as if I never, right? Justified, just as if I never sinned. Justified. And so justified how am i justified how does that breaking of that law how is that corrected through grace by faith jesus christ would bring grace and truth philippians 2 8 and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even the death of the cross so he brings this message from heaven to earth human form, and he dwells amongst men. Let me read a little illustration for you that Christ came and brought and carried out on March 28, 1945. A little kind of personal or uh, illustration from history. One of the closing battles of World War II in Europe was winding down. Just east of the Rhine River, German teenagers and old men tried to hold off the more powerful American army. There was an unusual quiet that morning. Dr. Karl Schleiser, a German soldier, remembers this time. He said, I looked over the hole, I shared with a buddy and saw no life, but a movement in the busted roof of a farmhouse about 200 yards away, Schleiser said. Feeling sudden panic, Schleiser stood up in his foxhole and fired four rapid shots at nothing particular. The eerie silence was broken by a single, single voice. A lone American soldier had walked calmly toward the entrenched Germans, 
saying in a calm and low voice, come on out, come on out. Slice remembers the American soldier had two machine guns trained on him. And we were sure he knew this, but he just kept coming. To have shot him would have seemed like murder because he was not a threat. He just wanted us to give up. Another soldier told them to put their hands over their heads. Then he turned and walked toward the American lines without looking back as the German soldiers followed. Slicer was overwhelmed. He must have been the most reasonable man, the most perceptive, the most understanding, by far the most brave. We had not expected to live. He must have seen how idiotic this wall was, and he acted on his own to save us, risking his life in the process. Later in the prisoner of war camp, we talked about him. If he had not come to get us, we would have died in our foxholes. His action was a personal one. He was not ordered to do what he did. I owe him my life and I and have lived it. Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to a warring man and asked us to come on out and return to God. He offered his own life for ourselves, for our sins, becoming brothers and sisters in Christ. And this idea, as we find in the I mean, just think about this. A soldier coming across enemy lines, guns are on him. The heat of the battle, and a man comes there, no gun, and he's coming towards the line. You're like, either this guy's crazy and he's got a suicide, or maybe he has some compassion. Had they shot him, they would have lost their lives. They heeded the message. Jesus came to earth, suffered and died, and his message saves us. If we'll receive it by the faith. Grace for grace. As we see in our passage of scripture, John adds new grace, continuous grace, uninterrupted grace. All the exceeding riches described by Paul in, this epist- in the Ephesian epistles, all are ours in Christ. And each spiritual blessing was appropriate, becoming, becomes the foundation of greater blessings. This is John Phillips. God's grace is like a mighty Niagara, thundering unendingly out of eternity into our hearts, something no Old Testament prophet ever imagined. What does this mean, and grace for grace? Is the grace you receive is appropriate and you allow it to work in your life. More grace comes. And more grace and more grace. When Martin Luther put it this way, the sun is not dimmed and darkened by shining on so many people or by providing the entire world with its light and splendor. It retains its light intact. It loses nothing. It is immeasurable, perhaps able to illumine ten more worlds. I suppose that a hundred thousand candles can be ignited from one light and still this light will not lose any of its brilliance. Thus Christ our Lord, to whom we must flee and of whom... We must ask all is an interminable well, the chief source of all grace, even if the world, the whole world, were to draw from this fountain enough grace and truth to transform all people. Still, it would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. End quotes. I think that's a tremendous, just think about the sunlight. We're drawing all this energy. I was out on a, boat yesterday and someone had a solar panel that solar panel was pulling in energy from the sun did that affect your light did that affect someone on the other part of the world did that affect their light no 
And it's that same grace that was given, grace and truth, came by Jesus Christ. (laughs) The fact that the God who made me would have such a love for you and I and all of humanity to enter into this filth. And offer a gift far beyond anything we ever deserve. We deserve eternal punishment in hell. I want to read a passage of scripture here for you in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you turn with me here? A little lengthier passage, but I think it's quite appropriate when we deal with the grace of Jesus Christ. Christian We have millions of reasons to rejoice. Millions of reasons to be thankful. Because every breath, every moment, is a gift of God. With which, and if we're saved, I'm guaranteed I will never face the horrors of eternity without Christ. I'll never need to worry about that, nor will you if you know Jesus. He's a different kind of God. I don't have to keep working my whole life to try to merit enough goodness before Him to somehow make a better eternity. All of those are false. But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. He consecrated, he set it apart. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You know, he doesn't say just draw near in faith. He says full assurance of faith. When I'm coming to him, it's like someone, if, if, if someone came up to me and said, I'm going to give you $5 million dollars. If I came and told you that, you'd be like, yeah, right. Because I don't have it. But if somebody, say some multi, multi, multi-millionaire or billionaire says, I'll give you $5 million, here's the check, here's the bank account balance, here's the check number, here's the check number on the check, they write it out, would you not have full assurance that that's going to be deposited? Now they're like, why are they giving you that much money? I'm not going into that, but... You have full assurance of faith. When I'm coming to God, I'm fully aware, fully confident that my faith is unwavering and settled and founded. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke and to... Uh, unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses." 
Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he, ye, uh, he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. If you deny the grace for grace, you get the law of judgment. He said, of how much sore punishment, when John the Baptist is declaring him the fullness, he says, you can be complete. And we learn later in John chapter 3, our spirit is born again. So now we're a body, soul, and spirit that's connected with God himself. I mean, we can have that relationship the way we were created to be. Fullness. And I have all that I need for life and godliness. Everything in Jesus Christ. But if you reject grace, you reject the gift, you receive law. You receive judgment. A rejection of a gift is an acceptance of the default of judgment. And it is that message that we as Christians carry forth. A message of incomparable love. He's a different kind of God. He's the only true God. In Isaiah 45, 21-22, Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from, ancient, this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. There's God. And God alone. But if you want to make it God in your own image, you want to make some other thing, and I know you're not, you're the Sunday night crowd, but I'm saying our world makes another God. To make another God is to reject the blood of the covenant, to reject the payment to reject a law that was fulfilled in my place. And to receive the due reward of our unrighteousness, of our sinfulness. He's a different kind of God. Let me read this passage of Scripture and I'm done. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received. And grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. Law was given to man. But God, Jesus Christ, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared it. The law is given to man. Grace came by the very creator and judge at the end of the world, Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Christian, we have many reasons to rejoice in who Jesus is.
because I have a grace that's overflowing. Life could be a whole lot worse. The power of sin and the shackles of sin in our lives could continue to ensnare us and we would have no chance of getting victory. Grace. And I have the strength through Christ to overcome. We are forgiven. We're empowered over the We don't have to be victims of sin. We don't have to continue to give into it. Now we do with our sinful nature and I'm not saying we'll ever be perfect on this side of heaven. But we have the ability through Christ to be victorious. And what a wonderful, wonderful gift. And grace for grace. You know what? I don't like the law. (laughs) I I trust you don't either. Now, if you stay within the regulations of the law, you're okay. But none of us have stayed within that. And so as I'm drawing this to a close, I just want to just bring this again to another reason that we as a Christian can just simply thank God for the gift we have in Jesus Christ. Rejoice. Give thanks. Praise His holy name. There's many reasons. He came in humility in all the fullness of God to give me what no man could ever do. Except for the God-man, fully God, fully man, who followed the law perfectly, without the law, fulfilled it, and took my place in yours. And so as we come to the time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, I trust this was an encouragement. I know it's a very simple message, but just something to continue to think about. If Jesus Christ, the eternal God, would see fit to enter in my place and yours, to let us know him and be reconciled to the Almighty. What wonderful, wonderful praises that ought to come forth from our lips. And if you're here, you're watching this evening, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've trusted in some good works or some sacraments, you're still trying to be within the law. Don't reject the gift of Jesus. By faith, accept the grace that you're a sinner. Jesus died on that cross in your place. Ask him to forgive you. And my friend, you'll be gloriously saved. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. When you're done praying, feel free to look up and I'll conclude us in prayer this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for a grace and a well that never dries up. Lord, I want to thank you for the fact that you realized our desperate condition. And Lord, sometimes I know in believing circles this truth can just become fall on deaf ears or it's just a It's an old hat. It's just something that we know and 
goes in one ear and out the next, or just a, a passing thought, but Lord, just a, really a reflection of what a privilege it is that we've been given, that you would see fit to enter into earth fully God in my place, to take the punishment in my place, in everyone's place. Lord, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the encouragement from your word. And Lord, an overabundant, overflowing, exceeding grace, unconditional. And Lord, that is afforded to each and every person that's willing to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may we go out as ambassadors, realizing the wonderful privilege and gift that we've been given. May we not take it lightly. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this evening. In your precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.